Hey guys, if you can think about how you found this podcast, maybe it's on Instagram or TikTok, maybe someone shared it with you. I don't run ads for the show or have sponsorships, so the only way this grows is through word of mouth. If this was valuable for you in any way, my only ask is if you could share this with someone who you think would help their investing journey or business. Thanks a lot, and let's get to the episode. Welcome to SDR Like the Best. I'm your host, Michael Chang. It's my great pleasure to welcome Will Moncrief on the show. Will, welcome. Thanks, Michael. Great to be here. Thanks for joining. So quick introduction. Will is based in Fort Worth, Texas. He is a wealth manager and also a short-term rental investor and operator. And I want to give him an, an opportunity to introduce himself. Will, ahead. Yeah. Again, appreciate you letting me have the opportunity to be on. I, I have been a wealth manager at a couple large firms over the last seven years. I started originally just with this curiosity of, of how wealthy people made and managed their money. And that kind of journey has progressed into what has been a great career up to this point. And then about two years ago, came across several of my clients that actually invested in real estate and dug into the short-term rental space and just and saw the amazing returns and everything that they were doing there. And so jumped in and it's been a great ride since. That's awesome. It's great that you're able to kind of leverage your W-2 job, not just for the capital, which most people do, but also for the knowledge and seeing what other wealthy people are doing and being able to do that for yourself. Tell us a little bit about what your portfolio looks like. Yeah. So I initially was looking to purchase a single family unit to, to short-term rent out and came across the idea of arbitrage. And so my mentality was like, why not try it out before you buy it? When I started really researching in this space, it was 2020 during COVID and building out what I wanted that portfolio to look like and a business around it. And so in 2021, I was just trying to be a little bit cautious instead of jumping in and purchasing of course, the multifamily like owners were struggling on vacancies and occupancy. And so there was a great opportunity to go in at that time and leverage the arbitrage model. So I initially started with that and then built out the portfolio to six units and then purchased three from there and then picked up another arbitrage unit actually in the same building where mm -hmm. I started. Okay. So let's talk about your arbitrage business. I want to talk about your arbitrage business. I want to talk about how you flipped over to buying. It sounds like that was always just kind of part of the plan. But I want to hit on you doing all this while working and being a wealth manager. I've never been in that business, but obviously you're working with high net worth individuals. Those people are probably fairly, they take a lot of time and service. So how do you balance, like, tell me about your day. What's a typical day for you to look like? What's a typical day for you look like? Yeah, it's, uh, it's jam packed, but I love staying busy. And for me, like I've, I've done this pattern for dating back years where on Sunday, I always plan out my schedule and have everything like truly every hour checked off for some particular task. And, and for a while there, I was trying to do both like full time. And that was a heavy load to, to pick up. And, and so then it became really about leveraging a team. And so I, I really did grow that portfolio slow and steady over two, a little over two years now to get up to the 10 properties and where I've started to see the most success and all kinds of potential opportunities moving forward has been as soon as I started leveraging the VA and we now had two, I initially started with one and they're able to make up 
basically from 9, 9 a.m. to 10 p.m., seven days a week. And initially, it seemed like potentially a little bit of overkill, but just taking that burden off of me for the guest communications and all the little things that happen. We just recently leveraged Breezeway for cleaning management, maintenance management, which has been great. Took a little bit to get it up and running, but it's been super efficient since. And for the most part, it's just, it's again, it's been a healthy balance where now I can work on the business and take weekends to look at potential new opportunities while really not having to dig too heavy into the day-to-day. I, and then really just blocking off a couple hours first thing in the morning for meetings and the crazy day starts to just pick apart at the things I need to get done on the SDR side. Uh, that, that's great. And I want to just pull a few things from that. Using, even though you're working it, first off, when you're working, obviously, even during your day, you're busy with your job. But two ways to really pull, get leverage, right? One is VAs, so virtual, for folks that don't know that, virtual assistants. They are not virtual, they're real people. They're just based overseas, generally in the Philippines and other countries. And they can handle a lot of the customer service, get, so guest communication with your cleaners, a lot of the work that's that's going to be during the workday that you can train them and they can do it themselves or they can do it remotely. And then secondly, it's obviously just leveraging technology, having a PMS system. Who do you use? Well, I use Hostfully. Hostfully. So he uses, yeah. I use Hostaway. It, sometimes it doesn't really matter which one you're on. Just get on one because it's going to yeah. solve like 80% of your problems using Breezeway or other technologies. So using technology, use, leveraging offshore resource, human resources that can really help you build your business while working in a W2 job. So a lot of people actually have, this is where they get stuck, right? So what drove, so for us, we have six days for, we're about 30 properties mm-hmm. now. They do everything. Nice. And I, we need more to be fair. I, there's always more to do, but what got you to, I think people are always scared of making that first jump, right? Of like mm-hmm. taking their, give me a control of taking your hands off the steering wheel and give it to someone else, specifically with the guests. What was your journey on that? What got you comfortable? I think eventually, really what got me comfortable was just maximizing out the amount of time you had in the day and the capacity that you had bandwidth to, to get all the tasks done. And there's, there is a point where I originally got into the SDR business because I, I truly found it as a tool to grow incredible amount of cash flow and wealth on the equity side while being able to free up your time. And so when I looked at the, I think the first five units or so, it's like, you're just looking at the numbers, you're looking at the cash flow and the equity, and you're trying to grow that piece. And you really don't want to take on any additional costs that that you don't have to, but then you forget about the time piece. And it's, if you really want to be able to grow and run this like a business, you got to hire a team and then you got to be able to manage that team effectively and put in the right systems and have the right technologies to make things efficient. And there, there is a breaking point. My breaking point was about seven units. Mine too, actually, funny enough. Yeah. Yeah, really? yeah. Seven yeah. years. It's like, I, no, that's it. I can't. I'm done. Exactly. Exactly. So it's been fantastic, and and they're incredible. And I think you get what you put into it. And so really dedicating time to spending with them on a weekly basis and try not to miss the meetings. We're busy. I'm busy. I've got a day job, but be dedicated to that. So these people feel valued and are appreciated and they'll work hard for you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that, that's great. You pulled out a lot of really, you put a lot of good points there. I think first is for us, for me, it was seven units too. And then this is like 20, 19. And I look back and I've been curious what you would say, but I look back, I would have started at two units, three units. I didn't need to wait that long. I didn't wait that six, seven months of sending guest messages and doing all that stuff. How about you now looking back, 
when would you have hired? When would, when would you have started hiring? Honestly, as, as soon as I could afford it. I do think you need, I think it's important in this business to get your hands dirty. Like for me, managing the guest communications for close to a year was actually like an, an important part of, I think, this journey. And it's a big reason like I translated over to wanting to find this kind of discretionary income source in business is because I actually saw a lot of correlations with my day job, which involves a lot of analytical type work, which I think is translatable to doing the underwriting of these real estate deals and sourcing them out. And then it's the hospitality side. We're big believers of providing that white glove service at the highest level. And I saw a lot of things, synergies and, and ways to transfer that hospitality into this space and work directly with people. And I feel better prepared to train my VAs. And it's very much about how effectively you train them. I at least have in that six month to a year window, but a hundred percent. Agreed. You have to learn if you can't train them to do the job unless you've done it for you're the first one you're the trainer so you definitely need to understand your business how the technology works your guests your properties so that you can ultimately train them to do so what we suggest now and what what wish what we we wish we did a lot earlier is everything that we do we will use a screen recording software we use loom there's a bunch of other stuff mm. out there we actually record everything that we do so that we don't have to, when we teach someone to do it, it's more like, hey, this is our process and they can see all the steps through the Loom videos. They're like two to three minute videos, sometimes longer, and then they cover specific topics so that your training manual doesn't have to, you're not, we used to write it out and it was like, this is ridiculous. And it actually is harder to train someone. If they see you do it, they're like, okay, I get it. And investing your, go ahead. Oh, I think that's a huge part of it too, is that you could train them specifically on guest education, which I think initially takes off that burden and then cleaning management and maintenance management and that all kind of spins together. And then there's the whole writing out a protocol for like pricing strategies, which I think is very valuable itself and independent. But I heard this a long ago, a mentor said he, he has this analogy far and it's foundation action results. And like, I tend to be good at more action results, but I miss the foundation piece a lot of times. And I was like, look, this business is incredible. There's so much scalability possibilities, but unless you put the E's in place and the systems and processes, like you're going to break even yeah. with the VAs and a good, a good point. Like I had to go back and actually write out the manuals and stuff, which I absolutely hate doing, but it's something that I think is paramount for your success in the long term. Exactly. You're only you're look, you're only as good as your systems. Cause like a person your time is just not scalable. There's only a certain amount of time you have in a day. And if you're always having to triage issues that you haven't figured out in the beginning, like that's gonna just suck time. And more actually more importantly is that your team understands the fundamentals, the foundation of what you want to do, right? So that they can go back to those concepts, those principles that you've laid out and be able to think on their own. Because ultimately what's really important is that they're able to think on their own feet. What I really think was, I think it was Jeff Bezos that said this, it's you want to devolve decision-making as far down the organization as you can. That mm -hmm. and you, your business should always, your business should always operate without you. If it's operating, if you have to be involved in that business, you don't have a business. All you have is the job. 
right? So yeah. being able to extract yourself from the day-to-day -day part of the business, it's able to operate on its own. If you went away for a week, your business should be fine. If it can't, yeah. then just more work that you need to do. And secondly, is that devolving that decision-making. And I take that very seriously. There's some core concepts in our business that that's unique to ours. One is we always protect our margins. So we don't Love have it. margin leakage, right? So everyone knows that as part of business, like they're seeing that there's a leaky toilet, then they are going to go and fix that because that's a higher water bill and that needs to be fixed, right? So these are these core concepts. They're like, okay, I don't need to ask Mike if there's a leaky toilet. I know that, okay, there's a leaky toilet. I need to go and fix that. And I know who to call and like what the price is. And they will just do that without me having yeah. to be actively involved. Like, I don't need to be in that decision-making. That decision-making should be lower down to organization. I need to know about it. They'll disclose in the channel we have set up, a maintenance channel that says, hey, this unit, this problem, this fix, this cost. And it's like, okay, good, I know, and then move on. So those are that. some really important concepts that we've utilized in our, thank you, that we've utilized in our business to just work 36% margins, cash margins in our business. And that's a function of that. And that's fully loaded. That's not our time is we're a few hours a week in it. That's, that's, those are fully loaded margins. And then that's where you want to drive to because 1% there, 2% somewhere else. And like your 35% margin business becomes 26% really, really, really fast. For sure. A hundred percent. And then there's a million different softwares out there that can chew away at it. And I fully understand that. I love that. Like you, you created kind of some core competencies, like in value that you want to drive home for your employees and like you're set, you're setting a standard, so to yeah. speak. And, and you're point about just like not missing the meetings too. You want, this isn't a set or forget it. Ultimately the CEO, you're putting the players on the field and you're the GM, you're the coach driving that, right? So if you're just absentee person that just is never there, especially in the beginning, it's really a recipe for failure. You really, you have, like we have just for us, like we have monthly updates, right? There's a, there's actually a channel that says company updates and we'll talk about is a good month, medium month that like we hit projections, we met them, we, we failed. This is what we've done. This is some of the gross initiatives that we're working on because we're not in it day to day. They don't, sometimes they don't, we'll say good morning. We'll say have a great day, but throughout the day, like we're not really there there. Everyone's talking amongst themselves certain channels are set up for like disclosure so we can go through and just see everything that's happening but what's really important is that your team knows you're not just like drinking Mai Tais on the beach somewhere right like you're actually <laughs> working hey what are we yeah. working on what new buildings are we working on what new initiatives are we working on what are some of the problems that you guys are seeing so we can fix those so having that really good bilateral communication is super important and also just builds the trust right because they're probably mm -hmm. located 12 time zones away yeah I'm curious I have not incorporated this personally but have do you have any kind of compensation in addition to just their standard monthly payments? Because you got to incentivize these folks. So I'd just be curious how you structure that. Absolutely. So we borrow, I borrow a lot from investment banking on this. Mm -hmm. So we have a, so there is a, we do a per reservation bonus. Okay. So auto, reservations that come in automatically don't count. So anything where they need to touch, it can be as simple as, do you have parking? Even though it's clearly disclosed, it's fine. Yes, we have parking. It's here. Boom, boom. They book. They get credit for that. So we pay that on a monthly basis. So any reservations they touch, they get a certain amount. And it's split. And what's important, actually, it's split equally amongst the team. It doesn't matter who responds to it. Everyone gets credit for it. Because I don't want to be in a situation where it's like, I this, wait. But messages, sometimes they take, they'll cross shifts. That you don't want it to be, you want to create a very collaborative environment for your company. You don't want it to be you don't want it to be competitive. So this is one of the things that we do, right? It's always split equally. Let's work together. The goal is to get as many reservations in the door. Company makes money, everyone benefits from that. So that's step one. 
Step okay. two is we have a perform we have an annual performance bonus. It's important to note that it's a performance bonus. It's not a, a holiday bonus, for example. We don't want it to be like this is something that you always get. You need to perform in order to get that. Right. So every year we sit down and these are the things that are that you'll be judged on. So that everyone has like what they're working on, what they're judged on. And that's how we assess performance. And lastly is there's a deferred compensation aspect to this as well. Just like in banking there, or in, in, in my kind of former finance world, you got a bonus, but part of that was deferred for, and you had to be with the company for later. We'll overpay a, we'll overpay a, a bonus or we'll pay more than the market average, but part of that is deferred and it's, we'll be paid it at a certain date later on. So that compensation is, is earned, but not paid. So it increases retention. What's really important is to retain your folks. So you want to build a company culture that does retain them, but also compensation wise, right? You can see if it's paid later on that they, if they leave, they'll walk away from that earned bonus. So these are the ways that we use performance yeah. to not drive to one foster a collaborative environment. And look, my VAs actually listen to this. So like I'm saying, this is not something that like we're doing. You want to be very transparent with your folks too. Everyone's really smart, right? So you're not trying to hide the ball. This We do this for a reason, right? We do this because we want to incentivize a collaborative culture. We want to drive revenue in the company. We want to be profitable so that they earn their performance bonus and we want them to stay, right? And we're going mm -hmm. to overpay you. We overpay the market average, both from a base perspective and a performance-based performance perspective because we want them to feel really engaged at work. We want them to be invested in the company's success and we want them to stay for a long time. My, my VA that's been with me the longest, she's been with us since over three years now. That's awesome. I, I love the deferred payment and the annual bonus. I'm going to incorporate that. That's great. Yeah. I think do it in a way where you're paying more, if you're paying X, make it like 1.3x, right? Mm -hmm. What you're paying. And then that, that yep. 0.3x is the deferred portion of it. The hardest part is turnover. If you lose a good person, it's just like, you don't want to do that. Right. And I think this is the part where, and I love talking about this because I think this is such a people business, not only from the client side, but from your team side and feeling, making them feel empowered. One is right. Devolving responsibility, right? You're not, I don't ask like what you're doing all the time. I never ask them, Hey, what are you working on right now? They could be doing nothing, which is fine, right? They're managing, they're monitoring the business, but they know that when things come up, they know, I'll monitor response times, right? Hey, why are we, why is this 10 minutes past? So they know that I'm looking too, but you want them to like always respond to in guest inquiries like immediately. Yeah. How do I incentivize that? Right. Yeah. I want them to care about margins in the business for the leaky toilet problem. Right? If it leaks for like months, that's 150 bucks, 200 bucks out of pocket for me. So. Their performance is based on their performance basis based on profitability of the business. So they care about that. Yeah. Right? And, and I don't want it, them to leave. I want them to care. Go ahead. It is such a people business that you hit the nail on the head there. And I think a lot of people, when they get into short-term rentals, they think of it as real estate. It's, it's a hospitality. You are managing and running a hospitality company and you're also managing and running your people. And I even, I think when you talk about turnover, my head first went to like cleaners, right? And so it's, we don't want to forget about them. They are like the absolute like pivotal piece <laughs> of what keeps this business like rocking and rolling. And for example, I've, get, I've got a meeting actually with all of my cleaners at three o'clock. I don't do this regularly, but 
I'm just going to give them all a $50 bonus and then make sure they're fully set up with Breezeway. I made them talk through a couple of things. I've talked with other people that they try to take their cleaners out to lunch like one day a month, maybe even one day a quarter. But just that additional like effort to make them feel included is so huge. And, and give them like we do quarterly bonuses for our cleaners as, as well. And one of the things that I'm working on right now that I haven't like fully put into action, but is I've got a, we're stepping into property management right now too, and looking to onboard another basically 23 units by the end of the year. And I am partnering with a long-term property manager in the same area. And we're going to establish and create a cleaning company because he loves his cleaners. I love my cleaners. I've had them for a year and a half now and build a cleaning company where they can have profit sharing. It's not necessarily designed to make money, but it's going to hopefully allow them to be able to, with our direction, build a business that they can eventually step out of too. So they're not working until they're 60 plus. Yeah. Oh, just treating your, and I think the concept here is like treating your, treating everyone well. <laughs> and but yeah. particularly your cleaners, like treating them as partners. And candidly, even with your VA team, excuse me, treating them as partners, right? I think I see a lot of people like treat their cleaners like their employees or, they're not some of them. Sometimes they're like, they may be from a different culture, different, different background, different immigration status, whatever the case may be. And then treat them in that way. And I think that's the absolute worst way. I think one is this kind of crappy way to treat people Two is you're a business and they're, they're yeah. super, super important to running your business. Treat everyone, respect, treat everyone's equals, compensate them, incentivize them. It's really just going to help you in the long run and your VA team too, right? Just be like a person to them. You're not yeah. their boss. Hey, like for us, our organization, we always say, we're not, I'm not your boss. Like we're all work together. I have a different set of responsibilities than you. Right. But you have your responsibilities. Like everyone is equal. No one is anyone's boss. doesn't matter your tenure. We all have a role to do and we have to take directions from people sometimes. Just for instance, like before today too, we are working with our, our cleaners on expanding their role and my, my partner, who's my wife, Liz and I were talking about it. And we actually came, wait a minute, we're actually not the right people here to actually decide this. Let's, yeah. we need to go ask them, what do you guys actually want them extra? What do you want them to do? Had 30 minute call, collected our feedback. And then that was actually how we drove that. It's, hey, actually, you guys need to tell us like what you really need here. And obviously from a financial perspective, we need to make sure it makes sense. But like, ultimately that decision is yours. Do you think we need to hire them? Okay. We do. Or expand your role. Okay. Yes. What days, what hours, what exactly, what's what are the pain points? What do you need to do? So just think of it that way. Like who is actually the best person to answer a question or yeah. it's a lot of times, not you. It's actually your cleaners or your VAs or that's been a yeah, huge, huge learning. Go ahead. I think too, the really key question is asking them, how can I make your job easier? Like right. what would make your job easier? And they will tell you, like, there's a million things that probably frustrate them that they're never going to like bubble up to you and just staying engaged because they're in the, they're down in the day-to-day -day fights, just checking in and making sure you're understanding your business well too. Yeah. And a lot of these, in some of us, a lot of our team is based out in the Philippines and just like understanding corporate culture, different country, actually, I actually didn't know until I asked them, what's corporate culture? And they're like, it's very top down. They told me, and they're like, we don't actually, what I love working about working here is like, we actually have responsibility and a say of what we do here in, in, in a different country, like the employees aren't asked for their feedback and they're, they don't want their feedback and they're used to not saying anything because that's just the corporate culture. Okay. I'm here. This is my job. No, actually, no, I want you to tell me, how can I make your job better? What's wrong? And you sometimes you have to pull it out of them yeah. initially. 
They're like, oh, are you just saying this to see if I'm a troublemaker or is this a way to dig me for something? Like, no, actually, I really, I really want to hear from you. So just ask those questions and don't assume that like everyone, you're all operating the same like knowledge base because a lot of times you're not and you need to pull it from your team on what's wrong because ultimately it's going to make, it's not only going to improve your cash margin, improve the profitability of the business. It's going to make your life a whole heck of a lot easier because you're going to have happy employees that are like committed to your business. And if you're working a W2 job, like just think about, man, I wish my boss was like, if everyone has a boss, right? So it's, I, I yeah. wish they would ask me like, what can make my job easier? Cause I, yeah. and be that kind of good boss that you want your boss to be. Yep. I love it. Look, like, this has been great. And actually I think this wasn't like the int original intent of the, this conversation, but I'm really glad we jumped down this rabbit hole. I, I do, before we, as we have maybe a five minutes left. I want to talk about how you moved from arbitrage to owning. You have, you started with six, I remember, and then you got another one. Mm -hmm. Now you have seven, or sorry, you own three of them. You own three more, yep. excuse me. How did it, how did you make that transition? Yeah. So initially the arbitrage was working great. Like I, I went in, as I'd mentioned, looking to purchase a unit, went the arbitrage route to try it out. It, it was a lot of timing just being 2021, obviously when we saw the Airbnb boom, I wish I would have got, if I could go back. I would have picked up a lot more in that particular year, but I basically built out that arbitrage portfolio and just the old school, I guess, maybe investor in me, just like you, you got to have equity. The importance of having that equity and establishing and building wealth through real estate was something that was really important to me. And so you just start looking for opportunities. And I think it's just one more kind of tool on the tool belt to where from a market timing perspective, I saw that rates were starting to creep up at the time, but they were still in a, a semi-attractive and lower than historical average range. And I was just like, now's a good time to, to pick apart a couple of these properties. And, and I saw where the market was going. I was like, I never foresaw housing crashing. I saw it continuing to go up and then it's going to come back down as rates continue to rise. And so there were just a few one-off opportunities where I was like, this makes sense. And we don't have to go down this rabbit hole because I know it's a whole other subject matter, but the, you talk a lot about in your podcast, just the tax benefits of leveraging yeah. arbitrage and equity yeah. strategy. And I think that is a hundred percent true. And then the third kind of peg, if you will, or wheel is here is that adding in that property management piece to it. And so we're, we're incorporating that in as well. And then even have looked into maybe doing some development in addition to. Yeah, I yeah, know. We, and we talked to that before we hopped on the podcast. Yeah. I, you have two really cool development deals. We're going to be in here for another two hours if we, if we, yeah. if we, yeah. if we unpack that. But as you kind of move along that, I would love to have you back and we can talk about your very cool development stuff. If you don't really hear a lot of folks do that, it's mostly at least multi, you're doing multifamily develop or sorry, developing yeah. multiple units at the same time. A lot of people, they might buy a piece of land and just build, a, build one or build a four unit, but you're doing, what is it, 35? They each are doing 35 yeah. per piece, right? In Texas, everyone uh, make sure to subscribe because you hear Will's <laughs> two, two 35 unit developments in Texas on, on a future pod. Before I, so before my final question, how do you, you know, and you're obviously very deep into finance as a wealth manager at Merrill. How do you think about rates? Look, we're probably, today is May 18, 2023. A 30-year mortgage is probably, a conforming 30-year mortgage, or not, a 30-year mortgage is probably, let's say 7%. North mm -hmm. or south of that, doesn't matter. How do you think about that in when you're making a purchase decision? Yeah, right now, 
I don't know if I saw the stat yesterday that the multi in the multifamily space, actual, actual acquisitions and transactions are down 80% year over year across yeah. the U.S. And so as you look at like cap rates that have been compressed in the multifamily space considerably, it's very difficult to make anything pencil on the multifamily or single family side where rates currently are. And you just haven't seen home prices and or larger commercial and multifamily spaces decline much. And as I look at it, nobody understands exactly what the Fed and what rates are going to do. I, my personal opinion is that we're not that we're done with the hikes. I think that potentially maybe you see a little bit more unless we get just a really hot kind of inflation press. I think that they're probably going to stay stable for a little bit and then have a slow decline, bringing rates back a little bit to more normalized level. And, but again, it's really a, it's a reset of expectations. You know, that five to 6% range is the historical norm. We're just so used to 2% rates over the last few years. We've been spoiled. And so spoiled. I don't. Yeah, I don't see a world where we get back to there, but I do I do see over the next 18 months a slow step down into what I do believe will be an environment where you can pencil deals and the competition isn't as fierce. And so just taking the reps to underwrite deals at this point and saying, I might not be able to go in at this rate, but I could at this rate and just keeping an eye on it. Um, yeah. There's always the opportunity to refinance, but it's really tough. It's tough to find things right now. I think in particular, arbitrage is probably most attractive of all the spaces just because you are starting to see vacancies and the occupancy start to dip down from the highs that it's been at. And I've seen just across the board rental rates starting to slow, and that's been a national average deal. Looking at potential opportunity sets there. Yeah, I've been pounding the table on that. That's where I think, look, you want, as an investor, you want different tools in the tool belt. Sometimes it's the right time to buy, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's the right time to do arbitrage, co-host, or other different strategies. I think right now, arbitrage issue is the best because you have rates coming down. It's still pretty competitive, but interest rates don't really pencil right now. And also, I can kind of unsaid here is two things. One is property owners that have, that got into the lower, lower interest rate, lower interest rate. They're obviously in a good position right now, but so they don't have to be as aggressive on their rate increases and can be more generous on concessions. So in this environment, mm -hmm. it's helpful there. You get a little more, you could probably get a little more upfront on those arbitrage deals. And two is for those new developers that came in 21, 22, especially fresh syndicators, fresh GPs that didn't really know what they were doing or didn't have a lot of experience and didn't buy a rate cap, the rate cap's expiring, whatever reason that you want to cite. And they're in a lease up or they have a vacancy right now. They're really motivated to, to plug that cash flow gap right now. So you can find yeah. the right situation. There's a lot of opportunity out there. And this is, again, two years ago was a really great time to buy. Now it's a little harder. I always think marry the asset, date the rate. There will be a time mm. to refinance. But obviously, like you want to find an asset that's like a good asset that will cash flow irrespective of where rates are because rates will fluctuate. But I do think arbitrage right now is... And we put it up, we just did a, we just did a deal. We just did another deal in Philadelphia. We're looking at more to do, but I think that's where the best margins are. And then recycle that to buying and take care, take advantage of the tax benefits and you'll compound wealth quickly, which is I think ultimately the name of the game for us. It's being able to compound wealth on a longer time scale, right? Like yeah. arbitrage is great for cash flow, but it's really hard to compound wealth that way. You want to take that to own assets, short-term, short-term, long-term, medium-term, whatever it is. 
And then those will, that will compound an equity value. You take the tax benefits, rinse and repeat. And pretty soon you'll have a nice nest egg saved. Yeah. It's a beautiful cycle. I love it. I love it. Love it. So as we end the conversation here, and this has been a great, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I asked my traditional closing question. What is the kindest thing that someone's done for you? Investing is a team sport. We're never going to get there alone. <laughs> I'm assuming you're talking in the short-term rental space. <laughs> Either. <laughs> whatever you like to, whatever you like to cite. Gosh, I will say that so the one thing I really do appreciate about the, the short-term rental world is it, it everyone is it is a cohesive community that everybody helps each other. Like all the hosts are continuously, whether it's through Facebook groups or it's meetups or it's conferences, like everybody is treating each other like they're almost part of their team. And instead of competitors. And so I think in general, like there is just a ton of kindness that's spread in this world. Whereas like being in the financial world, it's a little bit different. And so I certainly can appreciate that. I will say that I did have one, one guest that actually wrote me a handwritten letter and left it behind after, after she left. And I was like, the thoughtfulness of that, that's pretty unmatched. And you know what, as hosts, we go through our fair share a bad guess, man. So having like little stuff like that could light up your week for sure. And something I won't forget. That's cool, man. That's really cool. Uh, that's, and you obviously gave her a really great experience. Just if you want to just high level, what did she say? It was obviously very impactful. What did she say? Or high level, what did she say? It was truly like a paragraph, but it was just like talking about how beautiful the home was and how appreciative they were that we were able to like make this work on a last second type booking where we had a cancellation and all this stuff and, and just was just extremely complimentary. But again, it's like, sometimes it's not even the words. It's just the thought that counts. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great way. <laughs> that's a great way to end this episode. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing your time. Of course. Yep. Appreciate thank it. you so much, Michael. I appreciate it.